2: Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever
1: you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Redskins, your daily Washington Redskins podcast.
2: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team... We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. All right, it is episode number 264 of the Locked On Redskins podcast. Good to have you with us, and we welcome you aboard. As always, I'm your host, Chris Russell. You can follow me individually at WrestleMania 621. More importantly, follow the podcast and lots of Redskins news, nuggets, information, stories, links, links to the podcast, and more at Locked Redskins, at Locked Redskins on Twitter. And as well, you should make sure you follow at Locked on NFL Net, at Locked on NFL Net on Twitter and Instagram for NFL team news and information from all of our local podcast hosts and experts. All right, let's get to it. Coming up today, we will get to... Uh, at least one part, maybe two, depending on how things play out, of Patricia Trana on the Locked on Giants podcast on the Giants defense, remodeled, reshaped, of course, with Landon Collins, now with the Redskins, and with some new faces for them, and of course an opponent that the Redskins will have to try and figure out in week four, and of course late in December, so we will do that as well. Uh, I've had some things to say on the radio about Trent Williams and, as well, a mass exodus of employees from behind the scenes uh, at Redskins Park. So we will address some of that. Plus, we will get to our inside linebackers preview. I decided to kind of separate it and break it up. It's just too much uh, to do one whole unit with everything else we have going on. And believe it or not, we have a lot going on. So that's all still To come. Let me start with this. So uh, Tuesday night, J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington, and he hosts a very successful podcast, uh, Redskins Talk um, and Redskins 100 and uh, all sorts of different things. And J.P. Finley is much more professional and much more. Uh, mature, if you will, Um, quite honestly, than I probably ever will be. And I say that I don't mean to, you know, throw me under the bus. But that's the reality of the situation that I find myself in. You know, I, at 45 years old, probably still need to censor myself more, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, I probably need to be less candid. I probably need to be less truthful. But that's not me. That's not me. And I, do a pretty good job of being conservative and hiding it. Um, But it kills me. It eats away at me because there's nothing more that I want to see than the Washington Redskins to bounce back and to build a culture here that is sustainable. That is one of a return to glory or a return at least to consistent contention. And I see 27 years of large, largely futility. I see 20 years of ownership of Dan Snyder, of terrible decisions, terrible culture, awful, awful, awful decisions, uh, and people treated like they're not important behind the scenes, on the front burner, however you would describe. And the worst part is, over the last ten years, it's only gotten worse. That's the worst part. Um, when Joe when Joe Gibbs was here for four years, I wasn't around, but I covered the team from afar on a national basis, and I talked to many that were here, and things were relatively stable. Relatively stable, and they made the playoffs two out of four years because a man with the character and the and the and the just nobility, if you will, of Joe Gibbs, lent a different flavor. Really, since Bruce Allen has been here, again, Bruce Allen took a situation that was already bad. The culture, the situation, the organization, it was already rotten at the core, and he made it worse. In some ways, he made it better. Like the on-field product over the last three or four years, is probably, is no doubt more stable and better than it was the previous three or four years or even five years, if we're talking about breaking up his tenure. But what are we talking about? We're talking about a magic carpet ride to a nine and seven record in the division title in a down year for the division. We're talking about eight, seven and one, where they blew a chance to make the playoffs with a win against a giant team playing for nothing at FedEx field. We're talking about, letting your franchise quarterback go because you woefully, woefully dismissed him and quite honestly embarrassed him. And then we're talking about two seven and nine seasons where injuries have been nonstop and other teams also have injuries. There's no doubt that the Redskins have been bitten hard. Nobody would deny that. And to some degree... You give credit to Jay Gruden and Bruce Allen and the Redskins players and the Redskins organization for being as competitive as they have been. However, behind the scenes, there is a lot of problems. We've described all of them. Uh, there's many, 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 many structural and leadership issues. There is many divides. There are many employees that have left behind the scenes since the firing of Brian LaFamina at the end of December and his crew, the three guys in addition that went with him, that were all hired before last season. And that mass exodus continues. And this is all under the leadership and the direction of Bruce Allen. So I went off, and it was spurred by the ongoing situation of Trent Williams, And I theorized that Trent Williams was at least frustrated with the Redskins, if not mad at the Redskins, theorized from the time that they drafted Jaron Christian, third round pick out of Louisville in the 2018 draft. Now, a lot of people have told me I'm nuts. I'm crazy. I'm wrong. That's fine. You can think whatever you want to think. You have a right. To think whatever you want to think i'm not telling you that i have been told that i haven't been told that i haven't been told that as a matter of fact i know that trent williams will probably deny that i know that the team will deny that fine however using common sense And looking at the situation that we have now as to why Trent is so upset at the organization, I don't just believe it's about money. I don't just believe it's about medical treatment. I do believe he saw the writing on the wall. And as early as the drafting of Jaron Christian, when the Redskins were not expected to take an offensive tackle in the third round of the draft, they took one. He obviously struggled in his rookie year, got hurt. He was way overmatched. So I don't know if anybody is necessarily fearful of Jaron Christian replacing Trent Williams this year. But what about next year? We've talked about this with Trent's situation. It's an under $2 million dead cap hit. It's easy to get out of his contract, especially considering how much money he would make if he's still on the team for, again, the twenty. season not the 2019 season he will be here the 2020 season and when you consider his age and his durability issues and just the way the league is I think Trent has seen the writing on the wall for a while now and this spurred out of a debate between which Situation is more troublesome. The future of Brandon Sheriff and or Trent Williams. This is what came out of this, which was basically me going on a rant, which we're going to put up at Locked Redskins. I cannot play the audio because it is the exclusive rights of 106.7 The Fan, uh, which is my home radio station. Just again, I just can't do it. I I don't have that permission, Uh, but I will post the link up at Locked Redskins. Listen, you don't have to agree with me. You don't. you can think I'm totally off base and you can think I'm totally nuts. And again, I, I would say Trent would probably publicly tell you just the, as much. I have not been told this by anybody. This is just my theory. This is my belief that the seeds of resentment started, were planted when Trent saw, hmm, wait a second, we need a left guard. We need somebody to help me, not replace me. We need somebody next to me to make me better, to make us better, to make us more dominant, not somebody potentially that plays my position that's cheaper, younger, and ready to go in a year or two. And obviously, from if Trent really thought about it, he'd probably say, oh, okay, two years down the road, I can see this. Well, maybe he did think about it. Maybe he has been thinking about it all along. Maybe the medical issue is a thing that, he and his agent, know will get everybody calmed down. I'm not saying that there's no legitimacy to it, because I truly do believe there's legitimacy to it, as we've talked about. But people continue to tell me this is about money and money first. Well, money is hooked into they drafted a potential replacement for him. Now, people have asked, well, what, what about a potential replacement for Morgan Moses? That's fine. That's a fair question. I would just say this, Morgan Moses is under contract until 2022. So it's a lot harder to get rid of Morgan Moses than it is Trent Williams from a salary cap perspective, from a dead money perspective. And again, we've talked about all of this. That doesn't mean it's impossible, but a player, a leader, a guy with a lot of pride, a guy who's stubborn, a guy who's a warrior, a guy who's laid his body on the line. A guy who chose to resign when the organization was still in chaos might look at that as saying, wait a second, what are you doing that for? We were supposed to get better, not get a replacement for me down the road. Again, this is my theory. This is my opinion. This is my using common sense analysis. I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that I know this to be true. And as a matter of fact, again, I know that everyone will deny it. It doesn't matter. Just because you deny something doesn't mean it's not true. Remember that. So we'll put up all these links. I also added about almost 40 employees behind the scenes, again, have left the Redskins organization since Brian LaFamina's departure in late December. And then on top of that, and we've kind of hinted about this and talked about this, there is a growing divide between Bruce Allen and the executive branch of the Washington Redskins and Jay Gruden and his coaching staff. Again, you don't have to believe it. You also don't know what goes on in that building. You also don't want to believe that things are as bad and as chaotic as they really are. And they are. And they always have been. There's been times where they've been a little more quiet. There's plenty of times where they are a complete and absolute dumpster fire. And that's just the bottom line truth. That's just the bottom line truth. All right, we'll take a time out here on the Lockdown Redskins podcast. We will come back. For a quick look at the inside linebackers and that situation, and as well, we will have Patricia Trana part one of the Giants' defensive preview, right here on X uh, episode, 264, episode 264 of the Locked on Redskins podcast. Thanks for being with us.
3: Hey, guys, it's Joe Marino. Being around sports media and a fan of the Buffalo Bills for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes... All right, right back here on the Locked On Redskins podcast.
4: It hi, how is me, John Russell. I'm here, to say Chris Russell.
2: Well, that's my son. Welcome him aboard, everyone. Uh, he makes, Dick, Dick's a new one. <laughs> as he makes his debut here on the Locked On Redskins podcast, uh, my guy is having fun, uh, trying to have fun with me for a couple of weeks here during his summer vacation. Um,. All right, so we're going to start with our inside linebackers preview today. We did the defensive backs. On episode number 263, we'll get to the outside linebackers. On episode number 265, but today we'll do the inside linebackers. And clearly, this is a group that now finds itself without Reuben Foster. Obviously, the Redskins tried to take a big swing for the fences there. It almost worked. Uh, everything kind of worked out the way they were hoping it to in terms of the legal issues. Uh, it was certainly met with a lot of criticism. It was certainly a PR blunder, as usual. Uh, but... Everything seemed to be heading in the right direction until a catastrophic blowout uh, of his knee. So Ruben Foster, of course, lost for the year, and the Redskins don't get to reap any of the benefits uh, from that. But I actually think this is a pretty decent group, if not a pretty solid group from top to bottom. And it's because the Redskins have invested a little bit here in the draft over the last couple of years, and it's because they have some positional versatility. Uh, according to Craig Hoffman, 106.7 The Fan, uh, Mason Foster's lost about 25, 30 pounds. So he is much thinner, lighter, uh, more athletic, and he needs it because he was slow towards the end of last year. Uh, he's never been fast, but he was really, really lumbering uh, around. Mason Foster can play both the Mike and the Mo and he's interchangeable, and he's best when he's attacking the line of scrimmage, not when he's asked to cover tight ends down the seams. Can he do it adequately at times? Yes, at times. I think that's the key, at times. I think the Redskins have to devise a game plan and a philosophy and a scheme that asks them to do that as little as humanly possible, especially as the year gets longer and piles up. And as nagging injuries turn into more prohibitive injuries, and you naturally lo- now again, Mason Foster's lost quite a bit of weight, so that's going to help him. That's going to help him. There is no denying that. And one thing I know about Mason Foster is he's tough, he's physical, he's a good tackler for the most part, he's smart. Uh, whatever you think of him, and obviously, he had you know an incident with an Instagram exchange that we talked about way back then. Uh, that was not good for him uh, and garnered a lot of criticism, and a lot of it was justified. Uh, but the bottom line is, is Mason Foster's a pretty good dude, and he's a stand-up guy, and I don't think he's a poison or a cancer, and I, I-, I think Mason Foster, it's good to have him back. He's cheap, he's versatile, and he's one of the leaders, uh, and he's respected in that locker room. Now, what I don't know is if he will start. Will it be Mason Foster and Sean Deion Hamilton? Will it be John Bostick and Sean Deion Hamilton? I don't know that. I don't think anybody truly knows that right now. I think Sean Deion Hamilton will be a starter. I just don't know if it'll be Mason Foster and John or John Bostick paired with him. It could be, it could be, depending on injury, depending on performance, that Bostick and Mason Foster are the starters in Week 1. But we are far, far, far from that decision. We'll have to see how they line up in Richmond. We'll have to see how they line up consistently in Richmond and towards the end. And then we won't get to see what they do, but we'll have a feel. But my guess is it'll be Sean Dion Hamilton and either Bostick or Mason Foster. Now, the, the whole deal... And the reason why I kind of like this group is we mentioned Foster can play both positions. Bostic, I think, can play both positions, even though he's new here. He's been around long enough, former second round pick. He's bounced around four or five different teams. He played fairly well at the outset in Pittsburgh last year, clearly not as well down the stretch. We've detailed that. But he can play on special teams. He's athletic. And I think he can play both positions. I think and I know Sean Deion Hamilton is really smart and is getting better and better every day. And at one point before some massive knee injuries uh, and prohibitive injuries at Alabama was thought to be, you know, basically a first-round talent, maybe a early second-round talent. Sean Deion Hamilton, as he continues to mature and emerge and learn and get better, as long as he can stay healthy, I think is going to be a big, 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 big linchpin of what the Redskins are trying to do. On defense so I think again that's why he'll start I could be wrong on that but that's the way I kind of view it going into training camp Cole Holcomb drafted in the fifth round late out of North Carolina uh when you see him he looks about 12 but he can run he's fast he's athletic he's smart I think again he can play both positions Josh Harvey Clemens is more like a deer Uh, he's just lanky um physical for the most part and he can cover space. That's the guy I want quite honestly if I'm devising this whole defense, I want him on the field more on third down and in di- certainly in dime packages, but more in third down nickel and if I'm asking somebody from my inside linebacker group to cover running backs and tight ends and Uh, crossing receivers and all that stuff, however they devise that up, however they scheme that up with new inside linebackers coach uh, Rob Ryan, that's the guy I want because he gives me the best chance from a size and speed uh, perspective. He may not be the best in terms of coverage, but he gives me the best chance, Josh Harvey Clemens. So I think it's a pretty good group of five inside linebackers. Clearly they are not as good. As they would have been with Reuben Foster. I got that. I understand that. That sucks. But I don't think they are totally screwed. I don't think they are totally screwed. Now, we'll, we'll reevaluate this halfway through and see where we're at. But I think they benefit from not having Zach Brown here. Uh, I think Reuben Foster, if something would have happened with him off the field, would have been an enormous distraction. Would have been an enormous blow that they wouldn't have been able to recover from. Whether they recover from Reuben Foster's knee injury or not, it still remains to be seen. I don't think there's any way they can close that gap completely, but at least they had time. And at least you're not asking a guy like John Bostic to come in off the streets week four, week five, week six, week eight, week ten, whatever it might be. Week one, with no training camp, with no offseason programming, with no time... See, now they have time. So that's the silver lining and the rainbow to losing Reuben Foster when they did. Again, there's no way to close the actual physical talent gap, but I don't think they are as screwed as a lot of other people think they are. All right, so that's our Inside Linebackers preview right here on the Locked on Redskins podcast when we return. Part one of our New York Giants defensive preview with our pal Patricia Trana from the Locked on Giants
0: podcast. That's next. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state.
2: All right, right out to Patricia Trana for part one of our New York Giants defensive preview. They lost Landon Collins, of course, to the Washington Redskins. Who did they replace him with? Well, Patricia and I discussed that and the impact of replacing Landon Collins. As part of... Uh, The Odell Beckham trade, the Giants were able to acquire Jabril Peppers, a former first-round pick out of Michigan with the Cleveland Browns, and part of that was designed to, of course, replace Landon Collins, who signed as a free agent with the Redskins after Dave Gettleman and the Giants decided not to not only resign him, but also not to do a franchise tag. Take me through that whole process, if you will, in terms of ultimately the decision uh, to do what they did did you agree with it and do you feel like peppers at least early indications is is sort of what they were missing and allowing to leave in Landon Collins
4: well I I I can't say I guess let me start with the Collins decision first initially I was surprised that they didn't franchise tag him but Looking at the numbers, going back and looking at some film, and then looking to see what what he got from Washington, it all kind of makes sense. You know, Landon Collins is a tremendous player. He's a good locker room leader. He's a a sweetheart of a guy. I think you guys are going to love him down there in Washington. But where he felt, you know, he he wasn't a cover safety. And if you're going to pay $14 million a year, you want a guy who can do it all. Okay. And I just think that, you know, Dave Gettleman, when he when he looked at that, he said, look, uh, that's not going to be the best use of the money. And you've got to remember, the Giants didn't have a whole lot of salary cap space to begin with. So they had to make some hard decisions. And that was one of them. So now they get, you know, Jabril Peppers, a guy who I, you know, I I don't know how well he was used in Cleveland's defense. You know, Cleveland has had, I know, a lot of changes over the years. Um, But this is a kid who they believe can be interchangeable, that they can have him play, you know, primarily as the box safety. But if they need to drop him back into coverage to play the deep center fielder that he can they also like his leadership i mean this kid comes in and you know based on what i saw in the spring he has that it factor it's like uh, it, it's funny because i i wrote about this and i also commented about this to a colleague of mine I, I said the one time uh that that peppers wasn't on the field he was having some dental work done so we missed the practice okay. and i just felt like something was missing from the defense and yeah. that something was peppers enthusiasm and energy and just that it factor so you know he's already got a reputation amongst his teammates as being a trash talker which means he's you know he's he's not going to back down he's gonna he's gonna play with some attitude and you know landon collins was you know he he did some of that too he had attitude and he and he brought it so i don't want to disparage landon collins um but i i do think you know in james betcher's defense the safeties are so key you know so having Antoine Bethea who is going to be the free safety uh, a huge upgrade you know despite the age you know people will say oh he's like 100 years old he's you know he's not that old folks but he's a huge upgrade over Curtis Riley who was a converted cornerback trying to learn safety on the fly and just you know he had his struggles so you've got him you've got Jabril Peppers the two of them are interchangeable and I think they're going to allow James Betcher to do a little bit more of what he initially wanted to do last year but couldn't because he didn't have the horses to do it
2: yeah very interesting uh and you kind of remodel uh, that that defensive backfield um so I I guess you would you say that right now kind of What would you say is the biggest question on this Giants defense? Because you mentioned Olivier Vernon and the pass rush and the lack thereof. Now they let him go. Uh, They don't really go out and at least on the surface add like a big stud, but they've got a couple of pieces that certainly Betcher is familiar with, as you mentioned, from his time in Arizona. How do you kind of look at the big question mark, um, on this defense, in in terms of in, in terms of, I guess your biggest worry spot entering training camp.
4: Well, I think my biggest concern is the youth up front. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, they've they've got, you know, uh, Dalvin Thomason, I think is third in his third year. B.J. Hill is in his second year. They added rookie Dexter Lawrence. Uh, R.J. McIntosh is in his second year. They added um, Olson Pierre from the Cardinals, who I think is in his. Either fourth or fifth season, so they have a lot of young guys up front. There's talent, absolutely, but you know they're young pups and they've got to kind of you know get their feeding, their footing underneath them, and and just kind of you know blend together and play with with you know. That intensity and 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 cut down on the mistakes and there there, there will probably be mis- some mistakes uh, sure. early on. But the good news is is you have a lot of versatility. You know you're not locked in. For example, with with uh, Dexter Lawrence, where you you're not locking him into necessarily as his nose tackle. The guy can play the one tech. He can play the three tech. He can even play the five tech. You know. Whereas you know, um, you know when you had Damon Harrison, Damon Harrison was kind of he was an interior guy best right. He he was he was locked into kind of a, a set role. So I think that's one of the biggest concerns uh or question marks if you will is that youth and how quickly they come together. I think another key for this defense is gonna be on the back end. Now we mentioned the pass rush. What a lot of people don't um I, I guess take into consideration is that there were times when the Giants front seven just barely got home with the pass rush but why didn't they because if you look at the back end of the defense they weren't holding their coverage so that allowed opposing quarterbacks to get rid of the ball quickly and hit a guy down the field so the giants put a heavy emphasis they drafted three defensive backs this year um, they and they put a heavy emphasis on improving that defensive backfield because they want these guys to hold the coverage so that now maybe the defensive seven the front seven can get home and, and turn some of these pressures into sacks
2: all right, that's going to do it for today's Locked on Redskins podcast, episode number 264, right here on the Locked on Redskins podcast and the Locked on Podcast Network. When we reconvenient for episode number 265, we'll have the final part of my conversation with Patricia on the New York Giants defense, and we'll start to look ahead to the outside linebackers, and we'll clean up all the other mess that goes along with Things that I say and things that I do uh, on the radio and on social media and on this podcast. Thanks for being with us. I'm Chris Russell. Good to have you aboard. Thanks for downloading. Adios.